Well, if you have your Bibles or if you have your phones with a Bible on them, you can feel free to turn to Acts chapter 4. If you're joining us for the first time, let me tell you first, welcome. Let me also tell you that we're in the midst of a series. We've been considering the hymns of the church, the songs of the church, that there is something worth singing about. And we like to highlight those songs which are scriptural, those which teach us what we need to know or which remind us what we need to be reminded of. And this morning, we're going to do another contemporary, more modern hymn. The hymn we'll close with and that we'll build the sermon towards is that beloved contemporary song, In Christ Alone. And so the passage that that truth in Christ alone, one of the passages that it comes from is Acts chapter 4, verse 12. But before I read it, let me make a comment that I had fully thought this sermon would be filled with and I get to the end of the sermon and realize I've hardly referenced it. So let's do it on the front end. You have heard the theme throughout our songs and throughout our scripture readings that there is a cornerstone, that Christ is our cornerstone. And that may be familiar language to you, or it may be not very clear language to you. So let's begin, before we read Acts 4, to show the connection to that text, let's talk very simply, clearly, and quickly about the cornerstone. We heard from the Old Testament and from the New that Christ has become the cornerstone. That though He was at once rejected, He has become the cornerstone. Very simply, what that is, was the primitive, basic means of construction of a building was it all began with one true, square, level stone. It would be the stone that met all the expectations. It could bear weight. It could bear the weight of the building. It could be true and square, flat and level in every way. And builders would go stone by stone rejecting imperfect stones. No, this one's too round. No, this one has a crack in it. This one's not strong enough. This one's not big enough. And you would do something else with those stones in construction but they were not worthy of being the cornerstone, the stone by which all the other stones would be set true and square to become a firm foundation. Some of you men and women have tried to lay tile. And if you've tried to lay tile, you know that priority one is to find the right true point in the room, usually towards the center of the room, I think, I've laid tile once, and here I am talking to a bunch of people about how to lay tile. You try to find the center of the room, and you have to lay and, and pop, pop that chalk line, get that square line, and that first tile, every other tile in the room will be laid according to it. You've got to get the first tile right. You've got to get the first stone of your foundation right. And all of that symbolism, all of that clarity, all of that meaning is exactly why the Scriptures call Christ the cornerstone who had been rejected by men but now is approved by God. That there is no other stone but Christ. And now in Acts chapter 4, we'll hear, there is no other name but Christ's by which sinners can be saved. Acts chapter 4 
verses 10 and 10 through 12. Know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man now stands before you healed. The disciples, Peter, had just healed a lame man. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Let's pray that God would help us to understand and embrace this beautiful truth that is worth singing about. Let's pray. Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see, to believe, to know, and to trust that there is but one name that our lives can be built upon, that our trust and our faith can find its fullness in. And so, Lord, open our eyes to hear something that our world rejects and give us strength of faith to endure and persevere in that name now and forevermore. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I have three simple points for us. Uh, as we preach outdoors, I found that we need to be simple, brief, clear, and not make things too complex. So that is my hope, uh, particularly when we're outdoors. But three points are these. The gospel is exclusive. Number two, the gospel is inclusive. And number three, the gospel is our being given God's powerful name as our own. And so let's begin with the first point. God, uh, the gospel is exclusive. Now you know what exclusive means. It, is, it means it is a narrow answer. It means that it is not going to be uh, allowing anything and everything. But it is a narrow and precise permission of some kind. Some of you maybe belong to exclusive neighborhoods, exclusive clubs, uh, golf clubs. I don't know what you belong to. I know a few years ago I wanted to beef up my resume. So I decided to join an exclusive club, the Dollar Shave Club. Not anyone can be in the Dollar Shave Club. You have to pay a dollar a month. And you can be in the Dollar Shave Club and they'll send you razors every month. That's how you beef up your resume, right? That is an exclusive club. You have to pay a due and then you have a membership. You belong to things like this. Maybe it's the YMCA. Maybe it's another gym. There is an exclusive right to membership based on something. And that's how it is with the Lord Himself and access into His presence. And He says that exclusive membership is found only through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And the truth is, not only is there no other name but Christ alone by which man can be saved, the hard truth that you and I live in is this. That truth has always, and it always will, make the church and the gospel 
countercultural. Our exclusive belief in the exclusive person and the exclusive work of Christ means this we're countercultural. Everything about our culture says there are no exclusive truths. Any exclusive truth is a bad truth, and it's not a real truth. And yet the Scriptures, as we've just heard and read, Old Testament and New, make it very clear, Christ is an exclusive person. And access to Him is exclusively by faith through those who trust in Him. James Montgomery Boyce said this in his commentary on Acts. Oh, how the world hates Acts chapter 4, verse 12. If you want to be laughed at, if you want to be scorned, if you want to be hated, even persecuted, testify to the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. Now you know this to be true. You know what it is to be treated as if you're a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal if you believe in these exclusive claims of Jesus Christ, if you believe in the Bible, the way that we believe in the Bible at GPC, there are those who will not tolerate it. There are those who think it's foolish. But this morning, we're being reminded by Scripture that what we believe in is what the church has always held to. The Gospel is exclusive. So says the Lord Himself. But that's not the end of the story. Point number two. The gospel is inclusive. The gospel is inclusive. Second Timothy, excuse me, First Timothy chapter two, verses four and five, which we began our pastoral prayer with. Listen to this. I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all those under all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, don't let that go right by you. That is huge what he has just said. I urge that you pray for all people, all kinds of people. And literally in that context, it would it would mean this. You even pray for the kings and those in authority over you who are suppressing you, who are making life hard for you, who are demanding your livelihood and taking it from you, who are overtaxing you, who are oppressing you, you pray for all people, all kinds of people, because the kingdom of God includes all kinds of people, even kings, tyrannical kings. And so you see, the gospel's inclusive. Those people didn't want to hear to pray for those people. They wanted those people to be condemned and lost. And we're told to pray for all kinds of people. Don't leave any kind of people or people group out because the kingdom of God is inclusive. It includes a people of every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so the gospel is exclusive. Oh, but the gospel is inclusive. He goes on to say in verse 5, you also, no, wrong text, he says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, 
who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And so here we have the inclusivity of the gospel. It is exclusive, but it is inclusive. It almost sounds like the three musketeers. All for one and one for all. We are all for one. There is but one mediator. And that one mediator is the hope of us all. That is the sum of this inclusive gospel. An exclusive gospel, an inclusive gospel. And thirdly, the gospel is our being given God's powerful, personal name. The gospel is our being given God's powerful, personal name. Being given a name as our very own. His identity, His authority. Just as we baptize our children in our tradition, we believe according to Scripture. You remember, we take a child, or if it's an adult who's converted to faith in Christ, we take that water, and what do we put on that child? Not just water, but a name. The name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Christ, we are given a new name, a powerful name, a new identity. And that is something worth singing about. Christ alone, His powerful name, belongs to you if you're a believer in Him. Several years ago, a friend of mine who was a campus minister, I'll just say at a large SEC school in the southeast. Um, I'm going to take the names out of this and not get anybody in trouble. How about that? A friend of mine was the RUF campus minister at a large SEC school in the southeast. And he befriended the athletic director at that school. They were golfing buddies. They would play golf. And one day, the athletic director said, you know what, you ought to come by and tour our athletic facility with me. You know, you love football, you love sports. Why don't you come spend part of a day with me at the athletic complex? We'll go around, we'll have lunch, we can work out in the gym. We'll have a great time. And my friend, the campus minister, was like, great, I'll come. So he went, and they began their tour, and suddenly the athletic director was interrupted. And he said, I have got to step into this very important meeting. Here, you take this. And he took off his lanyard that had his personal ID, his picture on it, and he put it around the head of my friend who was the campus minister. And he said, here, with this, go ahead and look around anywhere you want. You can go to the gym and work out. I'll try to meet you in the cafeteria for lunch as soon as I can, but use my card. You can go in and get anything you want. And my friend was like, are you kidding me? So he began to walk around the athletic complex, and anytime he would begin down a corridor, a security guard would stop him and say, whoa, whoa, you, what are you doing? Who are you? You can't be here. And he, at first, sheepishly, would take the lanyard and say, no, I have the permission of the athletic director. And the security officer would be like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll go right ahead then. And he would go into the gym and decide, you know what, I guess I'll work out while I'm here. And he started working out. Another officer came to him and said, excuse me, sir, you're not supposed to... Oh, yes, I am. I have the name. 
I have the access. And after he worked out for a while, he went to the cafeteria. He grabbed some of this and some of this and helped himself to some of that. And he went through and someone once again said, excuse me, sir, but you, you're not supposed to. Oh, yes, I am. I have the name. I have the image. I have the picture. I have the access. I have the full and the free access. And my friend told us that story and rightly remarked, as I am to you, that is a picture of the gospel. Being given an identity, being given a powerful name that has access to the Father Himself, to the riches of the kingdom. And it's all fully and freely yours. Not because you deserved it, but because it was given to you. It was put around your neck. The name and the authority granted to you. And that is the beauty of the gospel. That is the powerful name that if you're a believer in Christ, you've been given. You wear that name. You wear that badge. And it doesn't always feel like it. When the world treats you as a fool for believing in the exclusive claims of the person and the work of Christ, that name doesn't feel so powerful at that moment, does it? When you're ridiculed, when you're made fun of, when you're made to feel small, that name does not feel so powerful at that moment. But it is. And it's the name that God has given His people. It is a powerful name. It's an exclusive truth. It's an inclusive truth. It is a powerful name. Tim Keller has this quote that really sums up the gist of what you've heard this morning. He says this, The gospel is an exclusive truth, but it's the most inclusive truth that the world has ever heard. Do you hear that? The gospel is an exclusive truth, but it is the most inclusive truth that this world has ever heard. Jesus said, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and in me you will find rest for your souls. So the offer is wide, and the grace is full and free. In 2014, you may remember as I do, that one of the great actors and comedians of our era, Robin Williams, took his own life by suicide. Robin Williams, a brilliant actor, a brilliant comedian. If you're around my age, you remember him as Mork from Ork. And you remember some of the great movies he was a part of. Uh, great comedian, great actor. We were all saddened to hear of the loss of his life, the taking of his own life. Shortly after he died, it was reported that he had bouted with depression. That depression is why he had taken his life. But sometime later, more of the story came out. And I don't know if it was as advertised as the depression part, but I want you to hear this. It turns out that he had been diagnosed at first with Parkinson's disease that they believed would lead to dementia. Later, after an autopsy, they would realize he had a worse form of dementia than they knew. But what had happened was he had reached the point that he was losing his memory. He couldn't remember his lines. He couldn't perform. And Robin Williams was known for years 
for saying this. And some of you have said this yourselves or you've heard people say this. Robin Williams said, you're only as good as your last performance. You're only as good as your last performance. Some of you know what it is to live under the weight of that philosophy of life. Well, Robin Williams, after he died, it would be reported that he would cry on the shoulder of his hairdresser, of his makeup artist, and he would tell that person, I can't remember my lines. What good am I if I'm not funny? What good am I if I'm not funny? And I share that story with you as sad as it is, because I think it is an example of why a song and a truth like In Christ Alone is worth our singing and knowing and be reminded of. You see, there is no person funny enough. There is no person smart enough. There is no person rich enough. There is no person gifted enough that they, at the end of the day, at the end of their life, can build all of their hope and all of their confidence in themselves. Because funny people will lose their memory. Rich people will lose their riches. Athletic people will lose their bodies. We are a deteriorating people. And the sad story of Robin Williams could be made beautiful if you and I would learn to not build upon our own name, our own gifts, our own wisdom, but to build upon the one name that Scripture has said by which everyone can be saved. And so I ask you as we close our sermon, honestly, where is your hope? Whatever age you are, if you are young, if you are old, at the end of the day, where is your hope and confidence in the way that you're living your life? The Scriptures remind us there is but one person who can bear the weight of all of our issues, of all of our burdens, of all of our fears, and all of our cares. That is the person of Christ and Christ alone. And if you have somehow built your life or your family upon the strength of who you are, you've built it upon the wrong name. Our culture is trying to build itself upon other names other than the person and work of Christ. And the Scriptures warn us that that will end in a great crash and a crumble. May it not be true of you. May it not be true of us. But may our faith and our trust and our hope be in Christ alone. Let's pray. And then we're going to sing about this hope, this trust, this righteousness this foundation upon which we can put our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You that we are not left to ourselves to build our hope, trust, faith, and confidence upon. We thank You for that sure foundation of Jesus Christ, the unique person and work, the sufficient work that He has offered us, that it is finished, that there is no more proving ourselves by performance, that it's not true that we're only as good as our last performance. 
but that we are as good as the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Lord, may this song be more than pretty to our ears, more than warm to our hearts. Lord, may it set us on fire to live for the truth that Christ alone is our cornerstone. And we ask this and pray it in His name. Amen.